are listening to the Redemption Road Podcast. this week to part three in our addiction series. Now, when we started this series, we said it was going to be a three-part series. However, last week was so good that we decided, you know, we really should interview Andrew and get his side of the story um, just to balance our perspectives and to to learn all we can about um, addiction from both uh, my mom and dad's side, which is the side dealing with codependence and uh, working with the addict, and then also from the side of the addict. And so this week, we I'm really excited to interview my brother, Andrew Harsh. How are you, buddy? Good. How are you, bro? Doing good, man. Doing good. So uh, last week, we heard uh, mom and dad's side, Doug and Barb's side. So this week, we want to hear kind of your story of how you got into uh, drugs and alcohol and what led to that, what kind of... Because uh, um, you don't just go from you know, sitting on the couch to heroin. Like there's, there's a path, right? It just, it, it, that ramps up. Yep. Um, and so I wanted to, to hear your story because the story uh, for mom and dad starts at the currency exchange. Um, but that's not where your story starts. Your story starts uh, much sooner. When, when did the currency exchange happen? What year was that? 2009. 2009. So your story actually starts in 2005. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Yeah. So 2005 um, is when we lost our grandma, my mom's mom. We called her Grandy. She was the best. Um, And uh, she was the best uh, for sure. And, um, from there, I actually, um, I, I was just kind of lonely after that, um, looking for someone that I didn't know how to really grieve well. Um, I mean, I was a junior in high school. Um, mom and dad never really taught me how to grieve very well. So I kind of threw myself into, um, into football. I threw myself into friends. Um, and then I threw myself also into a dating relationship at that point and, uh, did what I do best, which is I avoid conflict and I only focus on the good and, um, ended up, uh, like throwing my heart. I have a very, very tender heart. And like, I love hard when I, when I'm loving somebody, I love them hard. Um, there is no in between for me. Yeah. Um, and so I was loving this girl that I was dating at that point, uh, very hard and her and I actually ended up breaking up mm. and then that just was another, I mean, it, it wasn't really major. It was a typical high school breakup. Um, but then that took me from, uh, another minor loss and then started hanging out with friends, um, at my high school a lot more. 
um, and started getting into the party scene. And um, mm. I remember uh, becoming best friends with uh, my friend Josh, who actually was uh, given, like, he would, we would smoke weed together, we would go to parties together, we would do a whole bunch of different stuff like that. Um, and then same thing uh, i had a, other friends as well in high school that would be popping pills or whatever and so there was always some type of a substance involved in the friendships that i had um but it wasn't until i really met um uh pat um who was a guy that went to our church that uh i started to really get heavy into using um, and that guy kind of acted as a, um, drug dad, if you will, teaching yeah. me how to, how to scam the system, how to, you know, Hey, you use drugs this way. We do it that way. Here's what you do with weed, drew, blah, 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 whatever. Don't make sure you don't tell your dad. Um, and if you've ever seen Goodfellas, um, in the beginning of Goodfellas, when the guy gets, uh, the main character kind of gets in, uh, you always keep your effing mouth shut. Well, that was like the number one rule of being Pat's friend is right. no matter what, you always have to keep your mouth shut. Um, and so I could never tell, I mean, it literally cre I started creating from 2005 till, um, I mean, Tell the time that I got caught, I was nine. Pat yeah. was my best friend, and I was hey, you have to keep your keep your mouth shut. Um, the friends from high school started to like once I graduated high school, I only hung out with one of my friends. Uh, her and I were the only ones that really kind of stayed friends afterwards because the party keeps going on. People kind of move on with their life, um, but there was always um, people moving in and out of my life. And my heart always feeling uh, like not loved and not taken care of. Yeah. And so I would always, um, I would always kind of from that point to um, till 2009 be using drugs, trying to numb my heart. And within that point, I had gotten um, a girl from our youth group pregnant. Yes. Um, and then I had my beautiful, now almost going to be 13-year-old daughter. Um, That's incredible. <laughs> She's the best. Which is just, inc which is just incredible. Uh, but now my 13-year-old daughter um, at that point, and uh, her mother and I actually got engaged. Um, I proposed to her mom, and then her mom cheated on me, um, and... I was smoking weed. We were, her mom and I would smoke weed together. We would, you know, I would pop pills. Yeah. She didn't really do too much of that. Um, we would drink, you know, we did the party scene and stuff together. Real, real quick, um, real but quick. Then, Let me throw yeah. something in here. So just for our, our listeners, keeping a clear timeline here, because we've kind of uh, ramped things up and then now gone backwards. So 2005, Grandy dies. And in 2007 is when your daughter is born, right? Yes. That's correct. Yes. So there's a two-year period there where you're both grieving but using uh, your relationship 
uh, with your girlfriend to deal with your grief and you're using weed and I would say more recreational drugs. Is that right? Not, I mean, there's nothing, yeah, it was too all hard, nothing too hard happening there yet, right? No. I mean, there was a starting to be towards, uh, towards right around before um, Haley was born. Yeah. Um, I, I started to dabble with like morphine um, okay. and like Vicodin okay. and that type of stuff. Yeah. But like, Which it wasn't really hard. like yeah. a. Well, yeah, they can get prescription drugs can also, I mean, if oh, you're not yeah. doing your, if you're not doing them as prescribed, <laughs> they will kick your butt. Um, right. So. As, as prescribed, like, right. Um, I started, I started to uh, abuse those um, mainly from uh, my friend, Pat, who he had lines. He had lines to get anything you possibly wanted to try. Right. Um, so what happens is so, you you get in a relationship, you get engaged, she cheats on you, and you guys break up. Is that right? Yeah. So I at that point, it was MySpace. Um, we're really throwing things back. But I had saw pictures on MySpace. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> That she had posted the, the OG dating app, right? The OG, <laughs> the the OG before Facebook. That's right. Um. So, anyways, but I, um, I had seen pictures on MySpace that um of her laying in bed with this other guy, um, cuddling oh. with him. Yeah. Um. Then they had they both had joints in their mouth. Uh, then they took pictures of all of the weed all over the counter that they had and the alcohol that was everywhere. And then there was a picture of her in her underwear laying next to him. And she posted all that stuff online and then was like, oh, no, 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 nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I mean, yeah, you know, B- I just called BS straight up. Right. Um, and I was just like, yeah, no, that, that you can't tell me that nothing happened. Um, and at that point in my life, um, the devastation and my heart yeah. was completely torn out of my chest. Right. Um, and my heart completely stopped beating. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I lost my family. Just and, insane. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the, the message that hit for me was, um, you're not good enough to have, uh, to be a family man and to have a family mm. of your own. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to do whatever I could do to just at that point, numb my pain. Um, mm. I remember going over to Pat's house and just being, you know, Pat, like I need, you know, the fattest joint you can roll. Like, dude, I'm so freaking sad. Like I couldn't, I literally, I spent the night at his house that night and I couldn't, couldn't stop crying. Um, and in the morning, uh, in that, the next morning after I was crying so hard, I still woke up and he could see how depressed I was. And he said, Drew, here, here, I, I will, I will give you something, um, that I guarantee you will like the pain will just completely cease. Um, and I said, all right. I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever you gotta do. Um, 
And he said, don't snort it at first because that could be too much of a shock. Try smoking it first. Um, and I tried smoking it and it just sucked. And I'm, I don't do anything half-assed, like even to this day of my life. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be all in. And I was just like, dude, he's like, well, it could kill you. I was like, well, then give me half a line. I don't care. Like, I just want to try this. If you say it's going to take my pain away. And I was all like all in. And, uh, the, it was, I did my first line. And after I did that, then, um, honestly, that was like the term I fell in love, uh, was, was probably the thing to, uh, that like hits the most. Like I really? fell in love with that drug Wow. to where like, literally it was just like, I, in, like the depression went away. Um, I instantly felt good. Like for most people, heroin knocks you out where you not out. Like, yeah, I still nodded out. Of course it's heroin, but like there also was like this energy, like a reverse kind of energy that kind of came with it. Um, my body kind of acted a little bit different to heroin, um, to where, literally even my boss at work was saying, you know, damn Drew, what are you doing? You know, cause like you were moping around here, dragging your feet. Like I couldn't get you to pick your feet up and now you're, you're hustling, you're working hard. You're, you know, you're knocking these jobs out, you know, in half the time, like, because whatever yeah. you're doing, keep on doing it. And oh, that boy. secured it for me even more oh, that said, Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had no absolutely. idea what he was saying that. Oh no. And he didn't. And like my boss at that point, like one of my best friends still to this day. And, um, yeah, he's a good, he dude. even told me, he even told me at that point, Drew, like I have, um, you know, I had no idea. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know you had no idea, but like, I didn't want you to have any idea. I didn't want yeah, anybody to have point, any idea. Right. Um, but yeah, and I had taken I mean, it. I'll be honest. It's hard to hear. Hard to hear that when you're at your lowest, such a terrible oh, human yeah. was the one who was with you, you know? Oh, 100%. That's, that's really hard to hear because, like, you know, we do our best at Redemption Road to walk with men and sit next to men when they're in really hard places and bring them to Jesus. And to hear that literally the exact opposite happened to you is just like, I'm sitting here going, like, I'm kind of having a hard time standing in front of the mic. I want to move. You know, <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. Just, well, and yeah. I I chose oh, that too, though. No, that was I get my that. choice. I get my choice. That. That's true. That is true. And my, that was my choice too That's because true. of um the church wounds. Like I didn't want to. Yeah. I I went from it's true from two thousand and two to two thousand and five in youth group. I mean, even after two thousand and five, when I was in youth group, I still led church with youth group. I still kept my show and my facade up, you know, until the church found out that I was having Haley outside of wedlock. Then they took all of that away and I was a failure there. But like, even, even before that, I had a facade of, I'm the well, good, that's at least the message, you know, I'm the right? good, you, 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 well, yeah, I'm the good Christian pastor's son. And that all started, I mean, and, it goes even further back, even if you look at a lot of that. And That's I was true. as angry at the church yeah. during that time. Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with the church. I wanted nothing to do with dad or mom. Yeah. And honestly, when it came time to 
Like, the I remember the first time I stole from mom and dad, it wasn't even writing checks. Mm. It was mom and dad used to leave, dad used to leave his grocery money sitting on the counter in yeah. uh, the house that we grew up in. Right. I'm um, yeah. Right next to the oven. Yeah. And I remember going over and I was at Pat's house and I was just like, yo, I want to buy some, you know, some more dope. Like, how much is it? And he's just like, oh, like 20, 30 bucks. He goes, 30 bucks, you can get, you know, enough to last you for like two days. All right, cool. 30 bucks. And I didn't have 30 bucks, but I knew dad had his money over there. So I went and grabbed 30 and then would do that. And then I remember counting all the money that was there and coming up with this strategic plan in my head on how much I could take and sneak out. And then when I get paid, I would sneak a little bit back in and I would take a little bit over here and I would be like yeah. trying to like cover my tracks as much as I could with the money because dad's really good with my, like when it comes to the money, dad was the stickler on the money. Yeah. Like if anybody's going to see money missing, it's going to be that. That's, that's the truth. Yes. Uh-huh. You know? And so for me, I was always trying to cover up my yeah, tracks. Our parents were not disengaged or unaware. They just, they, that's just oh. not true. You know? No. And so, yeah, we can't, we can't make these false assertions that, well, you should have just been a better parent and your kid wouldn't have been an addict. That's just crazy insulting and just completely untrue. Our parents were very engaged in our lives. They were very aware of their own world and what was going on. Now, they talked last week about how they were co they had codependency issues, you know, and how they were love was blind and, and they had their own faults. But one of their faults was not that they that they didn't know us or that they weren't engaged with us or that they didn't you know, manage their money well, or, you know, that kind of, it's just, that's just not true. You know, we, yeah, we made choices, exactly. right? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. So woundings, woundings happened. They happened all through both of our lives. Right. But woundings happened. Those wounds from the church created pain and to numb the pain, we acted out. And as the pain grew, the amount of acting out had to grow, right? Um, yes. And uh, so that all for you, I mean, my story, I, I, I know this is an interview about you, but I, I just feel a little compelled to just also share that Grandy's death affect me, affected me intensely. And um, maybe another time I'll go into my story, but I also went to addiction. I just went to a socially acceptable addiction which was pornography. And uh, I was in college. And um, so we both felt in a, ma a mass amount of pain. We both didn't know how to grieve that pain, right? And we both went to addiction to do so. You went to drugs. I went to porn, you know, um, and developed quite a terrible porn addiction that was pretty intense, you know, um, but that loss in our family, like in our family history, was pretty, pretty, pretty terrible. You know, Grandy was an amazing mm -hmm. woman and we loved her deeply. And um, her dying so young was just awful, just totally awful. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do think that there is something there that we can look into maybe with mom and dad someday around the grief work that didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, there's all, or a counselor would work as well. We could talk to a counselor about that. Um, but there's also, because um, because we didn't do grief work on Grandy and Granddad, or Grandy, uh, when the grief came with uh, your girlfriend or your fiance at the time and your dreams of a family, that just compounded the pain that you were experiencing. Uh, and so then the drugs needed to increase even more and the intensity uh, of numbing needed to increase. So this all culminates with uh, you guys getting home from a vacation, which dad says was a bad vacation. I don't, I don't, I wasn't on that vacation. I don't think was I, was I on that? I don't even think I was, was I on that vacation? No, you and you and Jess went on that vacation and nanny went as well. So I was there on that vacation. Yeah, you were on that one. I didn't go. I where, said I had to stay home, quote unquote, and work. Where did we go? Um, I don't remember. You went to Cape May. There was a time that we went to Cape May without you. Yeah, there was one one time that you guys. I went sound to so Cape ignorant right now, but I'm just like I don't even remember that. That's so yeah. weird. Yeah, no, you guys went oh, to Cape May. And, I remember being there with Nanny. Why? I don't remember you not being there though. Yeah. Yep, no, I did not go there for that trip. Huh. Nanny left her car, and I actually used her car to put up. I have great memories of that vacation with Nanny. That was fantastic. Anyways, we don't, that's not the point of the podcast. So mom and dad gets home. Mom and dad get home on that, from that vacation. And uh, this whole thing unfolds with you. Is that right? Yes. So what is your recollection of this? Because um, I think as we've talked kind of offline, your recollection is different than mom and dad's recollection, which is to be expected because you're currently living uh, in a different place than mom and dad are, right? Yes. Right. All right. So tell us your thoughts. So I, the, you guys heard the currency exchanges story um, that was all, like, I remember that clear as day because the pit in my stomach of having to tell my dad was, uh, definitely not something I, I was like, crap, I'm caught here. All right. No, that was me, Pops. Yeah. And I think I made up some BS story about how I needed money for something, um, and whatever, um, but uh, then mom and dad said, okay, well, you need, you know, give me the, uh, my recollection of it was they told me to give me the keys to my car. They called my boss. My boss actually came over and uh, he had said, all right, I'm going to give you, you know, your paychecks are going to your parents. Um, they pretty much like stripped me of my life and then made me call uh, my uh, the one guy that kind of introduced me to the program and said, uh, Hey, you need to get to your first meeting. Um, he said, Monday, um, he goes, you need to go to a meeting tonight. It was like a Friday or no, it was a Saturday. He's like, you need to go to a meeting tonight. He goes, go online. You can find whatever you need. Um, but if you're really serious about this, uh, then I want you showing up Monday at uh, five o'clock is when it starts. Um, you need to be down there. I'll drive you home after the meeting. Um, I was just like, all right, fine. 
and it was like downtown Chicago. So it's not like a, a small drive, like my first meeting. So my first meeting I ever went to was actually, I went to a different meeting before that, um, just to kind of get acclimated. And then, so what's your mentality this here? Guy to, Are you like, uh, uh just keep these people get off, them my, off back. my back yes exactly that's what yeah, i'm no. thinking like get you're, you're, cause you're not in a position like, where you're like i'm actually gonna stop doing heroin you're like i'm just gonna like play the game because well, we were, yeah we've no, been playing I, the game you've been playing the game for years now right yeah and it's not that hard i mean no it's right. not that hard to play the game and not, i mean even with them knowing honestly it wasn't that difficult i mean we went to on a huge family vacation with like Aunt Sherry and Uncle Phil and even like Uncle Glenn and Aunt Melanie. So I don't Kentucky know if trip? you were there. When, the Kentucky trip? Yeah, that Kentucky yeah, yeah. trip. Yeah, I was on that Kentucky Did trip. Did you go there? Yeah. And so like I was, I literally was using that whole entire trip. Really? Wow. Yeah, like literally no before I even left, before I even left, I got enough to last me two weeks and I did pretty much all of that heroin. Like I did a whole bunch before I left and then smoked a whole bunch of weed before I went down there and then drove my cousin down there. And he was just like, dude, are you okay? Like you look freaking wigged. And I'm like, Oh no, I'm fine. Yeah. Great. Come on, let's go. Jeez. And then I slept for like a solid, like 14 hours straight. Oh, <laughs> once got there. You know, but then I remember waking up and like going over and sneaking out to the car and I was able to like, you know, do a little here, do a little there and make it through the whole entire week without, having to really worry about withdrawals and like you push yourself to that withdrawal state to where right before your skin starts getting gray and clammy, you do a little bit and that's how you get away with it. Um, but I was like, I taught myself all of that stuff. Um, but I mean, that's kind of my mentality was scamming. Right. And so I knew, I knew I could go, I could actually go a day without getting anything um, to where then I could not go through withdrawals as long as I, you know, was getting something the following day or the maybe even two days in, I could be fine. Um, And so mom and dad at that point were, you know, you need to do a drug test and I'll see, I'll never forget taking that drug test and the thing lit up like a freaking, you know, like a bingo machine or whatever. I mean, literally every single drug, like literally oh it was like, yeah, you know, it was like, it took all the colors of the rainbow popped up on that test. And you know, mom and dad looked at the lady and that drug testing facility. I remember her looking at me saying, how in the hell are you standing right now? Yeah. Said, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean? How, what do you mean? How am I standing right now? And it's like, it's a Tuesday or yeah. whatever, you know? And she right. was like, she's like, no, you, you literally have every drug that this thing tests for in your system Jeez. from crack to, you know, crack and Coke, like, which I probably had done the night before trying to, you know, get back up so I could do some more freaking dope or something. Right, and right. she's there like, you a cycle that happens. Start, you get down so much, you have to yeah, get oh, upper, but you drug oh, your yeah. upper. You and drug she, your down, you drug your up. Yeah. Exactly. And she's just like, what the heck? Or she goes, are you kidding me right now? She goes, you're one car, you know, you're one step away from cardiac arrest if you keep this up. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, and I didn't really care if I died at that point. Like, right. honestly, like, I don't care. Like, I don't have anything anyways. Like, all right, mom and dad will take care of, you know, Haley. I know that. Like, whatever. I'll just, you know, I could pawn that off on them. 
they're still young enough. I mean, I was 19. I mean, yeah, you know, Haley's going to be, you know, more than young enough for, for that. Or even her mom, whatever, her mom can, you know, deal with that at that point. Right. Um, is where my, my mental state was. Yeah. And, um, and I remember sitting back and mom and dad telling me, okay, you need to do, um, you know, here's the list, a laundry list of things that you need to do. And at that point they were drug testing me before the commitment. They still were drug testing me. Um, at least uh, I told them to drug test me every, um, every three days at that point. Um, I said, I need you guys to drug test me every three days. And, uh, and mom and dad said, Oh, okay, cool. And so they got, I mean, yeah, they, well, my mom says she bought them in, in bulk. (laughs) Did she ever, I mean, she got two boxes. Like it was literally two boxes of these drug tests. And, um, and I did it every three days though, because heroin takes, if you drink a crap load of cranberry, like if you don't, li- don't, don't, literally, don't, don't put that out. Don't, we don't need to encourage people how to get past a drug test. Uh, it's just the truth. Yes, anyway. You could do things to get past. Yes, that's fine. But you, so I did, I knew, my parents I knew point what to do. You were working the program. You were working the system because you knew that if you used that you could that you oh, could yeah. get it out of your system in 72 hours, pass the drug test, use again immediately. You had told me offline that you would take the drug test while having a line in your bathroom ready to go ready as soon as the system oh, yeah. as soon as the drug test was over. Yep, I have I would have it on the back of the toilet, all cut up and ready to go, and then I would take we had like the um, tissue box like covers. I would just set my tissue box cover over, like over the line, oh, so that yeah. like you can't see it. That right. way, if mom and dad come in, all they see is the tissue box cover. Like whatever. Right. Um. And then crazy. Here's the here's the drug test. Dad'd be like, "Oh, okay, cool. You passed. Good job." Yeah. Yep. You so know, go over and you know. So lots of lying, that. lots of deceit, lots of you playing yep. them, right? Which is what they said. They said that. Uh, yeah. But the commitment time came, the choose life or choose death, the no BS. So you had described it to me as you felt like your life was taken away and they put you on lockdown and you were playing them. And mom and dad had described it as they felt like they were trying to help you. And what can we do to help you? Right. And uh, so there's two different perspectives there. Right. Which is totally understandable. But then this whole covenant thing comes in and they, they pretty much uh, take a whole different tact. Like the whole thing is different. And this then changes the dynamic of the relationship in every way, right? So tell me what happened. Um, so right before I had gotten caught um, for like the last time, um, during this whole entire time, Pat was still involved and um, I actually had gone to him. It was uh, December 8th, actually. I had called him on the 8th and I had said, yo, um, I need to get, you know, like I I ran out, like we got to go down, we got to get something. Um, And he was like, all right, fine. So, he comes and he picks me up and we went to try to go score. Um, and dad 
you know, is calling me left and right, left and right. Where are you? What's going on? Where are you? You said you're going to work. You're not at work. Paul's here in my office right now. He said, you're, you know, you never even showed up for work this morning. What's going on? Where are you? I was just like, oh, no, no, dad, don't worry about it. I'm with, I'm with Pat. Like, we're just hanging out. Um, you're scoring right now. You're not with Pat. And then uh, I remember, like, handing the old phone over to Pat. And they're like, yo, just say hi to my dad real fast. He doesn't think I'm with you. And uh, he was like, no, no, dude. Like, I ain't saying hi to your dad. Like, you know, are you freaking kidding me? Like, and um, I had gotten betrayed by what? him um, during that moment. And uh, eventually... Like, I like actually hung up my phone. I was like, what did you do? Like, why did you do that for? And he was just like, I was like, dude. Well, then uh, we actually didn't get anything on that run at all. And uh, so I was like, all right, fine, whatever. Well, then later on that day, I went down there again. Like, he actually went down there, grabbed something, brought it back to me. But when we had gotten back to um, our house, or my house, he, dad was out in the parking lot and yeah. saw me. Dad and, tells uh, the story, yeah. And Pat made this huge, freaking, like, grandiose story about how he saw me on the bus um, on the west side, and he took his car, and he cut the bus off and stopped it, slammed on the freaking door of the bus and said, open up this door. <laughs> And looked at me and said, get out of the bus. Get in my car. What the f- do you think you're doing? Blah, 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 blah. And, like, like he's some grandiose hero oh, um, that, you know, is saving the day and saving Pastor Doug's son. And you know, I got your back, Pastor Doug, blah, blah, blah. All while he's the one that taught me how to do all of this. He's right. the one that taught me how to. And I remember sitting there, like, as he's telling the story. And my dad's like, dad literally was looking at me like, are you freaking kidding me right now? And I was just like, that, I, was, and I, I remember like verbatim saying that didn't effing happen. Right. Dad, he did not do like, and it all like, once he betrayed me like that and I was like, okay, you're not going to keep your mouth shut. Fine. Then I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. Right. Why should I yeah. continue to keep you my mouth shut? You make the cardinal rule. If, you break it. We're not like, doing this. Right. Exactly. You and so to then come from out, that point on, right? Exactly. And for, like, and Pat left, and then I just, uh, my boss was still standing there, who, like, he was committed to helping me uh, through this whole entire thing, and uh, and I, I remember just looking at my dad and just being like, Dad, here's the whole story. He's the one that's been helping me get it. He's the one, like. You keep asking me, how do you keep getting it? How do you keep this? How do you keep that? Here, here's how I keep getting it. And he was like, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? And, um, so I, I, I mean, I I gave up my sources. I gave up all of that. But then I remember, um, did that happen around the same time that dad found it in your event? Uh, no, that was months before that was, okay. I mean, that was a typical hiding spot for me. And right. Like, honestly, when dad found that stuff in the vent, I still had like a whole, a whole bunch of my sock during that point. <laughs> I forgot that I'd even put in any of my vent. Oh, so like, yeah, dad <laughs> took it and I, I, 
And I acted like, oh, he got my stash. I'm so sad. But, like, I didn't give a crap. I was like, oh, I forgot I even had that there. <laughs> Whatever. You know? <laughs> like, like, oh, okay, cool. That's so checked um, up, so dude. Dad, so, so Dad thought he'd be so freaking, you know, like, on top of it. And I was just like, oh, damn. I was just being a lazy addict at that point. I, didn't, I totally forgot I had that in my car. Um, so, but either way, then I went to my first initial meeting completely clean um i didn't use like i know mom i heard mom and dad say that i used during meetings would go out in the parking lot and use during meetings i i never actually did do that okay. i might have said that i had done that uh during my one of my stints or something like that now they did drop me off at fake meetings yeah. that that did happen i did that quite often um i was a big proponent of going to meetings on the west side of chicago um right <laughs> especially because i was still trying to keep my um my tough guy persona like i was going to be i was known to all those drug dealers as the crazy white boy because there was no white guy that came from you know outskirts of chicago um and went into the city to walk their streets with no weapons nothing just money very vulnerable to get robbed yeah um i mean having gotten robbed having been robbed at gunpoint having had guns to the back of my head but like go ahead kill me i don't care you know those types of things all happening um and so Finally, I was at that point of, you know what, mom and dad had said on uh, on the 8th, they laid the commitment out, um, and dad said you need to choose life or choose death. And if you choose death and you're going to continue to use, um, he actually had said that if you continue to use, uh, then I'm going to tell uh, your daughter's mother that you're using. Um, and... I'm going to make sure that your daughter does, is not around you. Um, and it was that, it was that point. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't the fact that, um, I didn't care that mom and dad were pissed off at me. I didn't care about anything other than my daughter not knowing me and my, me not being there for my daughter. That last um, glimpse of family. Oh yeah. Cause, cause and losing Grandy was a, was at least the beginning of the start of the grief, and then losing your fiance and your dream of a family was another major hit. But the idea that the last piece of that family and the dream of that family would go away—that was a straw too far, huh? I'm, I'm glad it was. Oh I'm well, glad it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and to me, that was the that was the straw that was like hang on a second like you're gonna expose me and dad was like i'm gonna expose you to the church i'm gonna expose you to everybody because the church didn't even know right. about all of this yet yeah so you're still like, like i'm gonna expose you to yeah yeah he was like i'm going to expose you to everybody and i was just like oh not again you know yeah, <laughs> like, right like like they had already done that with the you know me having a kid outside of marriage and yes. everything. And so, which that was humiliating as enough as it was. Um, and I had just 
come back and was able to be on the worship team again. And now all of this is happening. And uh, I remember just kind of sitting back going, like, all right, no, I, I'm done. And yeah, either the, I'm uh, completely blow my the, life up or I'm going to figure this out. Exactly. And I remember going to my first meeting, um, actually it was a meeting that I'd been going to. Um, and I asked this guy to be my sponsor. And the first thing he said to me was, Drew, you need to change, uh, the, your people, places and things. Mm. And I remember just sitting there going, like, what did, what, what, what do you mean? People, places and things. He was like, he goes, so many people nowadays are around toxic people around people that all they know how to do is use. He goes, you don't know. He goes, if I want you, if I wanted to come to you and say, Hey, how do I use X and X, you know, drug? I'm pretty sure you could tell me. He's like, yes. He goes, but you don't know how to live clean. You don't know how to do any of that. So you need to change your people, your places and the things that you're doing um, to mirror what you want. So if you want to be clean, you have to be hanging out with people that are, that are actually in recovery for like a year or so. Yeah. You can have some friends that are, you know, you're going to have friends that are less than a year. Yeah. You're going to have whatever, but the majority of the, the group of people that are going to be around you are going needs to be, um, you know, your soul group needs to have more, you know, clean time than you do. Mm. Um, and so I remember just kind of being like, Oh, all right. And he's like, so for the next few meetings, Drew, and literally it took me like a month, like a month of meetings, I would go to the meetings and he actually had me on like a gag order. Like you can't talk, you can't do anything. You just need to let other people's stories. You need to let everything else just hit you and marinate on you and find, you know, the people that have the recovery that you want. Um, and that was probably like, honestly, that sponsor probably was the biggest dick ever, but like he really, those, it was that type of a guy that I needed, um, mm. during that, during that time that kind of helped me, um, marinate in what I, what I needed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean that, that kind of helped lead me that that was the beginning of me starting to do the, the 12 steps then. Um, and really just kind of throwing my life into, um, recovery and soul searching for myself. Um, and then getting and, back to Jesus. And yeah. And then, power. and, and that actually, I'll never forget. Uh, there's a, in Chicago, um, there's a thing called the Baha'i temple for the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of the only temples like in the Midwest area. And it's, a gorgeous, gorgeous, like architecturally gorgeous. Um, but I remember my sponsor at that point had said, Hey, um, we're going to take a walk and go to the Baha'i temple and come on you and me. And then we're going to go over your third step. And I was just like, all right, you know, sounds good. Um, and he was big on, he was not a Christian and he was pushing to have me, um, look at, well, see how, you know, and, and I, I, I felt this like stirring in my spirit of Jesus just steadily whispering in the middle of this 
Baha'i temple, like through like it's time for you to find a new sponsor and it's time for you to con- like to keep on walking now with me. You've been walking with me this whole entire time. Like I All haven't right. gone anywhere. You've been walking with me. It's time for you to now start taking your faith a little bit more serious. Um, and from that point, then I, um, I, I never turned back, honestly. Right. It was at that point that I, I heard the call Jesus. of Jesus and I just went deeper and deeper into Jesus and started to find who I was in him at that point. Um, and then shortly after, I mean, what, 2010, we, you started Redemption Road, right? Uh, yeah, 2011 was our first weekend, yes. 2011. So, so yeah, in the first I was too. almost... Yeah, I was like almost two years clean then at yeah, that point. And right. um, I remember it was like right before we started the uh, the first weekend, I remember Jesus, um, I remember I was praying and I just remember Jesus kind of saying to me, Drew, um, you are tender, you are loving, that's mm-hmm. who I made you, and you are a warrior, and that's just who he named me. Yeah. He gave me, you know, a name of being a tender, loving warrior, um, and awesome. it was from that point, from that point moving forward, that um, that's that's been the call of my life. Drew, you need to affect the world with a tender, loving heart, and also be a warrior to fight for the injustice of men's souls and mm-hmm. hearts as well. Um, whether it's a, you know, in, a, in addiction to like the hardest addictions to, you know, the most socially acceptable ones of overeating or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter from, you know, uh, the addiction is addiction and, um, and not looking at them as an addict, but looking at them as a love child of God that, um, that is, that is his. Right. You know, instead of looking at that as a, oh, well, you know, what does the addict have to say right now? No, man. You know what? Addiction or not, um, I, to me, it's hard. It's hard to, if you call somebody an addict, to me, I usually try to stay away from that term anyways, because like you and I were talking offline the other day and I had said, uh, hey, when somebody calls you an addict, what's the first thing you think of? Yes. And uh, a junkie with a needle in his arm. Right. And so to change that stereotype, like if you have an addiction and you, you know, if you identify as an addict, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But to, for me, I had a, a hard time continually saying, my name's Drew and I'm an addict. And instead I changed it to, you know, I am Drew and I'm a love child of God. Um, and once I started going to, um, my church's recovery group, once that's when my, the identity piece for me actually started clicking even more, uh, um, in recover because it was like, Oh, in recover. Yes. In recover. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I was going group. to, yeah, that's the name of the addiction group. And, and, that's and where they have I, you identify I mean, yourself. My name is, uh, Aaron. I'm a love child of God and I struggle with. Right, ex addiction. Yeah, then you name you exactly. I name you name it. I I struggle with drugs and alcohol, or right. I struggle with drugs, or 
I struggle with whatever because yeah, porn. And, and there were plenty of people. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but your identity and isn't that's where my, the addict. Your identity is a love child of God. And there's a distinct exactly. difference there that really changes the mental focus of where you put your energy. Because if you're just an addict, then you, to some degree, if it, for some people, it can feel like a curse that you, that they identify their identity as an addict. Right. Because it, it, it's almost like identifying yeah. themselves as their failure. Right. You are a failure. You are the failure of, you know, heroin addiction or you're, you are the failure of porn addiction. And that becomes your identity. But then it also simultaneously becomes a curse on your life. Right. As opposed to your identity being what the Bible says, which is a redeemed child of God that was bought with a price. Right. By the blood of Jesus. And I struggle with this sin, but that sin is not my identity. My identity is in Jesus. My identity is in the cross. My identity is in the blood of Jesus. Right. And there's a very distinct difference in how you view yourself between those two things. Right. That's not to say that addiction isn't powerful. It isn't to say that addiction doesn't exist. It doesn't say that addiction doesn't need to be worked through with counselors as none of that is, is what we're saying. It all does. It all does need to be worked through. It all does need to be dealt with. And you did years of of work on the 12 steps. I mean, I think you went through the 12 steps at least three times. Uh, over, well, I'm still over. going through the 12 steps. Right. But, I mean, yeah, I know of three so, times you've worked like, through them, like, over years, right? Uh, really digging yeah, deeper well, and deeper and deeper. Yeah, and it's, it's a never-ending thing. And to me... Right. Um, that's been one of the calls on, on, for me recently from, from Jesus even was, Hey, you know, there's, there's some things that we need to go back and be digging deeper on at recover. Oh, okay, cool. Let's do it. And, you know, for, for guys that in the group that I lead, you know, in redemption road, there's guys that go to recover as well. And so it's just even more effective to have the guys that I'm journeying in my life with either, you know, guys that I'm also leading and, you know, I, I'm doing life with all That's of these right. guys. I'm leading them, you know, as well, you know, in these different ways. And so to me, that's kind of how Jesus was meant to, this is how he was meaning Christianity to, to go is to create small little groups of, you know, families and, you know, men, women, and children. That's right. Of, hey, here's small little groups of going forward. And this is honestly life. the only way that I was able to do to, to stop my addiction um, was by, you know, doing, you know, what I'm doing now is by getting men around me. That's right. And by saying, hey, here's where I'm struggling, here's what I'm doing. And like yeah. in the beginning, being real, yeah, being it was, raw, it was being honest and being loved. Exactly. In all of that. And then, exactly. And to me, that's where, um, that's where I, I still felt, uh, my heart not being taken care of when I was going to NA mm, and I could feel myself right. being like, man, I'm not like, I'm not feeling loved. I don't feel like somebody has my back. I don't feel like, you know, I feel like I'm kind of like in this by myself. Like, yeah, I have friends, but I don't really have that good of friends, you know? Right. Um, and it's, it's issues like that, that I, when I realized, you know what, Drew, like 
NA was not to get my heart to be loved. NA was there to help me to teach me how to um, how to cope with my emotions at first. And yeah. I had been on it was a good you know, transition. I had been on men's it was, and I had been on men's weekends and everything before that like in my yeah. addiction yeah, yeah. and was, oh, I want to quit using drugs. I want to quit using drugs. I want to quit using drugs. But like that was like the boots on the ground of, hey, you know, here's how you quit using drugs. Here's how, you know, this stuff works. And I honestly encourage anybody that is in the, uh, the throes of an addiction to first, you have to reach out. You have to reach out and mm. the most uncomfortable thing but like you have to reach out to somebody that, you know, think of the one person that, you know, you could tell, even if they're disapp disappointed in you, but they'll still, um, you know, they're still going to love you through it and like tell on yourself. Yes. Literally just tell on yourself. And then it goes against your whole nature because the whole nature oh, of the 100%, addict is to, is to hide. One hundred percent. Yeah. So. Well, man, thank you, Andrew, for sharing your story. What, um, what an awesome time with you today. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that with the world. And um, just gonna pray a minute here, Father. I just pray that this uh, goes out to the ends of the earth. That people might hear, hear your story of redemption. That people might uh, be able to uh, relate to this and. Um, and find you in it because you are all over the story jesus you uh you are so so good andrew thank you so much it's awesome it's been a crazy 15 years huh think about that 15 years it's nuts. absolutely yeah journey uh the journey continues as we say in redemption road right <laughs> yep it continues and uh we would love to have you as part of that journey so uh check out our website uh redemptionroad.com and if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. Um, yeah, I'm sure uh, myself or Andrew or uh, Doug or Barb would, would love to talk to you or any other staff that we have here. So uh, reach out, and until uh, next week, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye.